Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm all right, all things considered. Rainy Monday in January. Yeah. What could possibly go already. wrong? It is a, already a skating rink, and it's. I got a hockey game I got to drive to tonight at 10.30, so fracamole. It's going to get suddenly very cold. We're going to get rain all day, it's and it's going to get suddenly very cold. It's going to be interesting out there, Bruce. Of course, Edmonton drivers are used to this by now. Like, everyone's driving pretty cautiously, I noticed. Like, and I'm not kidding about that. Like, people are driving fairly well, so nonetheless, it's going to be... A nightmare. I'll have to leave like an hour early for the game. All right, Bruce, we're going to do a little bit of a summary tonight, today, excuse me, on uh, Ken Holland. A little bit of uh, the trial of Ken Holland. Not really, but we will be uh, digging into his offseason moves and and, uh, discussing, debating which ones turned out, which ones didn't. We will also just, let's just do a quick summary of the first 21 games and um, the last 14 so just quickly, I'll give you some of the highlights in terms of in the first 21 games, the Oilers had 16 wins and five losses. They scored 3.8 goals per game and they gave up 2.9 goals per game. That's a plus uh, that's a plus 0.9 per game goals differential, almost a goal a game goals differential. In the last 14, 14 games, they have won two. They've lost 12. Bruce, they've scored 2.5 goals per game and given up four. That's a minus 1.5 per game goals differential. So they've gone from essentially plus one goals per game in the first 21 games to minus 1.5. That is that is remarkable. It really is remarkable. And, you know, the two different uh, teams narrative <laughs> has got some backing. So what the heck has gone wrong. And when we dig in, you know, we we do all this work into grade A shots, you know, trying to get a idea of the Oilers process in each game, you know, are they manufacturing grade A shots? Are they giving up grade A shots against? And it's not nearly so dramatic, the change in the team, when you look at, look at them through that lens. So in the first, um, in the first 21 games, the Oilers created Essentially, they created 14 grade-A shots a game, and they gave up 12, a little bit more than 12. In the last 14 games, they've given they've created 13 grade-A shots per game, and they've given up um, 12. So they're giving up the same number of grade-A shots per game. They're creating one less grade-A shot per game, and that's on the power play. So it's there's very... That, that's a significant drop in power play effectiveness. So there is that. But other than that, they're not giving up more grade A shots per game. So, Bruce, I'm going to say the two factors which have created this massive swing in the Oilers is a less effective, less productive power play and a huge swing in goaltending, where they were getting far more effective goaltending before and their goaltending is absolutely cratered in the last 14 games. That's my read on it. Any thoughts? Well, I think you can extend uh, uh, special teams. Both special teams have cratered 
in the last 14 games. Uh, in the first 21, the Oilers scored 23 power play goals and allowed eight power play goals against. And they even scored three shorthanded goals in that time. And now in the last 14 games, uh, they've scored seven. So they've basically gone from scoring one a game to half a game. And they've allowed 14. So they've gone from basically allowing a third of a power play goal a game to one full power play goal per game. And uh, so the big advantage that they had from the uh, 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 great special teams has not just disappeared, but it's actually gone very much into the negative side of things. And it's uh, a lot of games you could point to. Well, in the early in the season, they would have won that game with a power play goal. And this time they lost it because they gave up a power play goal. I would say that the power play chances, and we don't track this as much. We don't track this. They're giving up slightly more shorthanded chances now. The Oilers are on the on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Um, two point two point nine in the last fourteen games, as as opposed to two point five per game in the first twenty one. So it's you know that's a significant increase, I guess, in the number of grade A shots they're given up. Uh, we don't track though. You know, we track grade A shots, which tend to go in about 25% plus percent of the time. But I think that the, some of the, like the magnitude of the um, likelihood of those shots going in has increased significantly. Um, they're giving up the five alarm chance more often. I'm going to suggest in the last 14 games plus the goaltending. But I think on the, on the, not at even strength, their defense hasn't been shredded. But I think the PK is just giving up not only grade A shots, but, re, you know, grade triple A shots or the five alarm shots, as I call them. And they're they're doing that more often. Case in point was the winning goal against Ottawa, where um, it was the old cross seam shot. You, you know, the Oilers, when the when the PK was bad, when the peak, when a PK is bad, you're giving up cross seam passes. And we're seeing that more, and we saw that against on the winning goal against Ottawa. That's the kind of chance you give up. So they're not protecting the middle of the ice. You know, on, on that play, and I always wonder about this, having smaller players on the penalty kill, it went through Ryan and Sevier, the cross-seam pass. And they're both smaller players. You know, they're not Yes, I always wonder why. Why don't you have Yessa Puliyarvi on the penalty kill? You know, the six-foot, whatever, six-foot-four, six-foot-five guy instead of the five-foot-ten guy. Isn't he going to have that extra foot of reach to to stop the cross seam pass? And and that's so that's that's just a general thought in general. I mean, you could do that at any time of the year. But I always think, how about somebody like Puliyarvi's fast? He's big. He's not a stupid defensive player. I think he's he's a, he's got good defensive acumen. So anyway, that's just a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Wondering about that question. All right, cat, get down. Yeah, they got both their goals, Ottawa, power play goals from a guy that was left the same guy, Ottawa's leading goal scorer, uh, a good Newfoundland boy, Josh Norris, who uh, was left alone in the high slot on both. And the Oilers didn't either prevent the pass, nor get in the shooting lane, nor did they get a save. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think either of Norris's shots was, you know, unstoppable by any means. I think Skinner on the winner... He came across expecting a quick shot and he lost his post a little bit. Like he went a little bit too far and he left the far side open and Norris hit the far side. But it's, you know, I mean, the other thing about the penalty killing is that 
the Oilers have a, a pretty strong record of getting a lot of saves on the penalty kill. They've been over 900 the last two years on the penalty kill, which is very, very good. And they started out this year the same way, and now all of a sudden it's like three power play shots, two goals for the other team like Saturday night. And that you isn't going to get it done. You know, my idea about having taller, rangier players on the PK, of course, you know, if you want to counter that, Cassian was on the PK, big, tall, rangy guy, and he was absolutely atrocious because he had such terrible defensive reads and wouldn't, couldn't or wouldn't block shots. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not necessarily the case. No, Smaller players can be excellent penalty killers. So, uh, and uh, taller players can be awful penalty killers. But I just have a feeling, yes, a Pugliari would be a fantastic penalty killer. And I've always, and I felt that for some some time now, I'd like to see that given a try. Hey, they they put Nurse and Cece together, something mm-hmm. I lost a couple of weeks ago. So I'm sure they don't pay attention here. But um, nonetheless, uh, it's nice to see when they, something that I've wanted to see has happened. And I think Nurse and Cece will work out if I'm completely honest. Okay, Bruce, let's just move on quickly here to the Holland stuff, okay? We're going to go through the list of acquisitions and let's just give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to each guy in terms of um, has this worked out? That'll be the question. Has this worked out for the Oilers? Okay, Derek Ryan, Bruce. We're going to start with the centers. Derek Ryan was brought in on a one-year contract. I think it's like a slightly two, above. Two-year contract. Two-year contract. Yeah, okay. 1.2 million? 1.25. I'll just call it cap friendly. Bruce, thumbs up, thumbs down, and why? Yeah. Uh, well, I got to give the thumbs down so far. Uh, and I think the why is that uh, uh, he's 35 years old, David. And uh, for all that, this was an extraordinary player who kept, to my eye, improving right into his 30s in terms of still getting better, you know, measurably better. Like not, you know, often you see players improving specific skills as they go on face-offs or or some things. But I think Brian's overall game was still getting better uh, even into, you know, through his time in Carolina and even into his time in Calgary. And, of course, he was a very late arrival as it was. Um, but whether he's lost a step or, or, uh, he's, uh, you know, he just, uh, I mean, his, his goals for on ice goals for plus six minus 19, the last time I checked and that's beyond brutal. And, uh, and his acumen on the penalty kill, well, it was he who was uh, getting burned on two of the, both of the Ottawa goals on Saturday night. And, the, uh, you know, so where where is the upside uh, on this player? Uh, the good news is his contract is not, uh, it's not outrageous, but it is a two-year deal, meaning Holland's committed next year to him as a, as a, uh, a 35 plus in terms of, uh, the contract doesn't get judged that way because he signed it when he's 34, but he will be that old. And, where, you know, it just doesn't strike me as being uh, uh, a very good bet going forward. And I like the player. I li- You know, I've liked him for a long time. But I think we're, you know, we're getting the very end of the line of that player. It's like when we got Kyle Brodziak back, you know. Hey, he had a terrific career, but guess what? Now he's 33 or 34 or whatever he was. And it didn't end well. 
But it ended in Edmonton. Yeah. All right, Bruce, I'm going to give him the thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. This 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 deal. Yeah. And it's and yeah. it's not really that, you know, it's more like a thumbs kind of in the middle here. Okay. Um so I like his play at even strength and I think he's trending better. I think he's he's starting to play better. I think the main issue is he's been asked to do too much. He should be a fourth line center at this point. Mm-hmm. He's Almost. not a third line center. So there's a usage issue, which isn't his fault. Um, it's not his fault that Holland didn't solve the problem at third line center. And I don't think Ryan McLeod, honestly, right now is the answer. So um, Ryan has struggled a bit because he's been asked to do too much. I think he's been okay on the PK, notwithstanding that last game when he was at fault on two goals against. Um, I think he, he, I'm not sure, what is his face-offs? I think he's done okay in the face-off circle. Bruce, I just like him at even strength in a limited role. I think he's a better player, much better player than Brodziak at a similar, Brodziak was just way too slow. Ryan can still get around the ice. He generally makes good decisions. He's, um, he, he, he gives a little bit more than he gives up. He went through a slump for about two or three weeks at even strength, but other than like he started off strong, he was then weak for a while and he's been good at even strength for the last month. The main reason though is like, like I don't like the two years. I wish it was one year, but with a contract like that, you can bury it in the minors at little cost. When you're making bets on players, you can sign a number of players, three or four or five or six or whatever. If you're prepared to pay them in the minors, they're for full salary. There's no, you know, no skin off your teeth taking a bet on this, this kind of player. And I just wish, in fact, they'd sign a couple more just like him, maybe for a, like a little bit less. So if you sent him down, there'd be no penalty at all. Um, so because of that, because there's such little downside in such a signing um, and there has been some positive aspects of this player's play, I'm OK with this signing and this kind of signing, generally speaking. I don't have a problem with it. And I and, and again, I just wish. If they brought in one more guy like this, um, you know, like that might have even been a better idea. So um, that's my take on it from it from the from the GM's chair. That's how I see this. Well, I do agree that he got he got um, after a, a, a brief hot start. He was getting crushed in the three C role, but uh, as I've seen it, he's played quite a bit more in four C in in recent yes. times. According to Puck IQ. Uh, who rate uh, quality of competition, uh, Ryan has seen less elite competition than any of the other listed centers on the Oilers. Now, granted, it's pretty close with guys like Shore and Turris, who's listed as a center, uh, but significantly less than Ryan McLeod or even Sevier. And, of course, the big guys are, are way above that because the other team matches their, their strongest players against Edmonton's strongest. That's sort of common around the league, power v. power. But it's not like Ryan is 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 uh, being given a heavy load of being being asked to check uh, uh, top players on the other team. They're just getting beat, and uh, it's uh, I get the signing is defensible. Let's put it that way. The results have not been good, so that's where my downward pointing thumb is coming through. Thirty-five games. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to find his face-off, overall face-off percentage. These NHL stats are very, okay. I think he's doing okay on the dot as far as I can see here. I'm going to move to this other one, face-off wins and losses. 
get stats. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's 55% Aerial. on the dot. And so uh, pretty good overall. I'd like to see a breakdown of how that is on the defensive zone and the penalty kill. But, uh, of course, those are face-offs that when you do lose them, they tend to be in the spotlight quickly. Uh, one other assist, uh, um, that from Derek Ryan, though, 30 games played, center, zero assists. Yeah, he's not much of an offensive player. And he um, Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, you're right. Like signing, a, this is the downside of the signing is you waited a little long here. Maybe, you know, if you're going to make a bet, like when you're making these kind of bets on these kind of players, go for the guy who's 28, 29, 30, as opposed to the guy who's 33, 34, 35. Because how often, you know, Brodziak, Belanger, how often has this bit the Oilers hard? So there's that. So, you know, my, my positive signal is not a strong positive. It's like, I'm okay with it. I don't think it was a big mistake. All right. Um, should we do Ryan McLeod? He's a newcomer to the team, yeah. but he wasn't a new acquisition by Holland, but Holland essentially with his lack of activity gave the job to McLeod. It was, it, so let's, let's, let's do McLeod and Bruce. I'm going to give McLeod's performance a thumbs down mm-hmm. um he's he's at even strength he's not been a strong player he's had his troubles in the defensive end um i just like i see the i see the potential there still mm-hmm. but he's going through a real learning phase and he's part yep. of the problem on the orders right now he's part of the you know He's just not really getting it done. Like last against Ottawa, for instance, that line of Pugliarvi and Hyman, both Pugliarvi and Hyman were constantly winning, protecting pucks. Then it would go to McLeod and I noticed the number of times there'd be a turnover. He just wasn't, he's just not there yet. And I think he will be there. I think he's, he's working towards it, but it's not there now. He's, he's not a third line center. He's not a second line center. He, He should be on the wing probably in the NHL. Um, on a fourth line role and working his way up to the third line center position. And um, yeah, I don't, I think like if this is still a big hole on the team, they've tried, they've asked him to fill it. It's too much and he's struggling. That's how I see it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give him a thumbs up just so we can have a nice debate. And I'm going to give that in the context of where he is in his career, which is still in his entry-level contract. Uh, and he came uh, uh, you know, as many of the, the younger guys do just now uh, through a bit of a scrambled route that took him to Europe for part of last year uh, after a pretty rough first year in the AHL. And he came back last year, and he was good in the AHL. They called him up for the last 10 games. They used him for all four playoff games as well. So he's not new, new, new to the team, but he's still pretty new. Um, But this year, I mean, his box scars, 23 games played, four goals, two assists, six points, plus one, which stands out on this team at this particular time. Like, he's not getting crushed, is what plus minus sort of tells you in a very, very uh, uh, sort of basic level. Is the guy getting crushed? Is he really outscoring the other team, or is he in the mushy middle? Well, Ryan McLeod is is there, uh, playing with a variety of line mates. As you say, you know, since Nuge got out, he's he's stepped up a little bit and had better line mates, but tougher assignments as well. And 
I'm seeing things that I like out of the player. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that he's, you know, that he's got the potential to really be a great player, but I think he could be a good player for a good long time. And it's, I mean, they got to give some of these young guys a shot at some point. They're giving him one, and I don't think he's failing. I just think he's, you know, he's up and down. He has good games. He has so-so games. Um, but by and large, uh, I th- I see him as part of the part of the solution in the longer term, which is probably more than I'm going to say about most of the guys that we're discussing. I think he could well be like we we agree fundamentally on the player. Like he's player with a lot of potential and and as, to see him struggle is not not unexpected i i think like the my comment on ryan and mcleod are both related to the same issue they don't have they didn't bring in a third line center they counted on these guys it was asking too much probably mm-hmm. you know they they expended capital on the next guy on our list devin shore they gave him a contract which again you know but with shore let's just move on to him i'm going to give him the thumbs down because they, there was very little bet on the contract. They can send him to the minors. It's nothing. There's no harm to the Oilers doing that. Sending right. Devin short of the minors. He earns less than the NHL um, minimum. He earns, he's got a two-year deal as well at 850000 At the time of the signing, I liked it because I was thinking of Shore along the line of Josh Archibald, who really improved in his second year with the Oilers under Tippett. And I thought the same might happen with Shore. You know, fast, hits a bit, has some skill, can maybe figure out his role. Instead, he's regressed as a player and um, hasn't, even as a fourth-line player, hasn't helped the Oilers. He's the weakest uh, defensive um, forward on the Oilers. Um, And um, he's not providing much on the attack. So they needed a third-line center, Bruce, heading into this season. And the bets that Ken Holland make did not pan out. So overall, at the center position, I'm going to give Holland a thumbs down with Shore a, a thumbs down. Okay. Yeah, we're in full agreement on that. And uh, I was, frankly, uh, uh, a little surprised and wrote at the time uh, about uh, uh, that he was the first player to be re-signed off of last year. And I get that, uh, that the coach likes him. Uh, I honestly wonder why at times, because uh, I don't see uh, a particularly good defensive or offensive player. Every once in a while, it comes up with a play. I mean, they all do. These are, you know. But uh, again, turning to uh, uh, to puck IQ, uh, that says that of all of the uh, fellows listed as center, uh, uh, Shore faces uh, uh, he. he, he he faces the most bottom line opponents. He faces three times as much of his time against bottom line opponents as elite opponents with the rest somewhere in the middle. And yet he has the worst shot shares, the worst uh, um, danger Fenwick, which is their their attempt at, at shot quality. So when you're at the bo- bottom left of this graph that shows uh, quality of competition and uh, on ice results, uh, that's the worst place to be, and it's not that big of a surprise because he was there last year, and he was, you know, the orders were getting less than forty percent of the shots when this guy was on the ice. Less than forty percent. You can't, you know, you can't even expect to saw off when uh, when that's happening. 
you know, in the one thing in his defense, he's been injured, I think, twice and he's had COVID. So there's been in terms of like yeah. expecting someone to to really raise the level of their game, it could still happen. He could surprise us if he gets healthy and, um, you know, he could trend up, tip it again with Josh Archibald. I didn't, I thought Josh Archibald was just kind of okay-ish in his first year, but I think he got a lot better last year. And um, Shore could do the same if he gets healthy and stays healthy. So, you know, fingers crossed on that. Bruce, let's move on to the wings. We're going to talk about Hyman, Benson, Fogel, Sevier, Perlini. Okay, uh, and I'll start off with Zach Hyman. That's a strong, strong two thumbs up. Two okay. thumbs up for Zach Hyman. I just think he's been really strong. Um, mm-hmm. a, a, a top six NHL winger. Um, the length of his contract is concerning, but what they're getting this year for the amount of money that they're paying him, they're, they're getting full value on that contract this year. Um, he's strong defensively. He's great on the forecheck, puck protecting. He's a smart player who works well with uh, Connor McDavid. I think we haven't seen him with Drysaddle, interesting, which might be a fascinating comp- combination because you get those two guys puck protecting together. That could be like a total nightmare for the opposition team. You know, two two great big guys who are right near the top of the NHL when it comes to puck protection skills in the offensive end. They could create a lot of zone time together. Um, so he's he's been set back by injury, as is often the case with Hyman. This has been an ongoing thing. Um, with with him, him, the way he plays the game, he's going to get banged up. He's going to get hurt. But he came back. He was healthy again against Ottawa. I, I thought he was really played a really strong game and uh, I like the signing. I like the player. I, I like the player. Uh, I'm less enthused with his results to this point. Like he had a strong start and he really, ha- he really struggled mightily uh, in December, uh, both before he got hurt and after he came back from being hurt. Uh he he missed the same three games Dave Tippett did. So of the 14 games that were under review here, he played 11 of them, and the Oilers lost all 11 of those games. Uh, with Zach Hyman scoring zero goals, uh, four assists, and I think a minus nine in that time. And I'm just, you know, for he's a good player, but they're paying him to be a good player. Like, I don't see that's a huge... Uh, payback on on uh, you know value over cap hit. We talked about this a little bit on Saturday night. I mean, uh, Toronto got him as a two and a quarter million dollar player, and he was fantastic value in Toronto, and he was also a double digit plus player every year in Toronto. And here in Edmonton, you know, he's he's making uh, uh, you know uh, he got a significant raise on the order of what 140 percent or something, and he, you know his. Uh, uh, I'm glad he's on the team, and I think he will turn it around. Um, but up to up to this point, the results are are uh, are fairly uh, middling. And to, just to ex- expand a little bit, in Toronto, they had a player that they were uh, he, he was good with skilled players, and he played a lot with Matthews and Marner over the years, which uh, explains some of his results, of course. Uh, but they also used him. Uh, not just on left wing, but they use them on right wing. At times, they would shift them down onto the bottom six. 
And when he was in the bottom six, he'd be the best player on his line and he would drive a line. I mean, we saw three games in Edmonton last year where Toronto came in and that darn line of Engvall, Mikheyev and Hyman was the best line in the whole three game series. And we haven't seen Dave Tippett try that even once with all the problems that he has on the bottom six. He's never once said, "Okay, Zach, we're going to try you to drive uh, drive the third line, see if we can get the team going down there. Uh, but it's like they're, they're just fixated on, let's put the same five or six players in the top six all the time. And even if they're losing, 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 let's keep on doing what we've been doing. And I just, and so that's not so much on Zach Hyman because it's a capability that he has. I think it's on the coaching and or the management vision of how they can use this player. He's a more wide-ranging um, uh, player who can help the team in more ways than they've accessed to this point. All right, Tyler Benson, Bruce. I'm going to give Tyler Benson a thumbs up. I don't think the coach loves this player. No. He's only got one assist in 17 games, and he's minus four. So, so those numbers are really underwhelming. Um, by our grade-A shots... He's doing pretty well, though. He's creating a okay number of them, and he's giving up very little on defense. He's been a f- you know, fairly strong defensive hockey player. So um, he's gotten really limited opportunities. The coach doesn't put him with quality line mates hardly ever. He's hardly ha- had a sniff in the top six. Like if you're talking about moving Hyman down, you know, you could have moved Benson up for a game or two. Yes. See how that goes with McDavid or Dreisaitl. This would have been an obvious move. I think the coaches failed the player in, in terms of giving him a little bit more opportunity. I think he's earned it now and then and uh, consistently hasn't received it. But when he's been on the ice, the results have been okay. You can see the skating is a weakness. He's not a fast player. But he's, he's making up for that with some hitting and gritty play, which you think might get the, the eye of the coaching staff a little bit more. Because he's think. willing to go out there and play a gritty game. How many order forwards do that? I mean, have we seen that from Derek Ryan or Ryan McLeod or even Devin Shore? We haven't. You know, three guys who kind of, you know, essentially float around. Um, I hate to put it that way so bluntly, but that's, that's I think, a fair comment. Benson is getting his nose in there. And so is Hyman. This is why I like these players. And working hard on the boards and... I'd like to see him get a little bit more of a opportunity. Um, it, he just, you could see him fading away quickly here um, if he doesn't get that shot. Well, you're certainly bang on on the line mates, David. Here's, here's, his, uh, here's his line mates that he's played the most with this year. Derek Ryan, 41 minutes. Devin Shore, 36 minutes. Ryan McLeod, 24 minutes. Uh, Zach Cassian, 19 minutes. And then we go down, 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 down. I, I might have missed one. Uh, Kyler Yamamoto, eight minutes. You know, like he's playing almost strictly with, oh, yeah, yeah. Colton Sevier, I missed the top guys. Colton Sevier, 74 minutes. Kyle Turris, 57 minutes. Yeah, I thought then, they would. Then Derek Ryan. I, I had to page scroll down <sighs> in the top. yeah. So, so two veterans, Turris and Sevier, have very little to give at this point. On the offense, I mean. Well, he's played 74 minutes with Colton Sevier, and the Oilers have scored zero goals in that time. Maybe yeah. time to try him with someone else? Yeah, they're kind of similar players in some ways. So, 
Yeah, so would you give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down, Bruce? Uh, I'm going to give him a sideways thumb, and, and it's, it's up oh, you from, the Ryan Ma- got, Ryan uh, you from the Ryan McLeod sense. Uh, I'm seeing good things, but I'm not seeing results. So if, uh, I'm, I guess I'm results-driven, so I'm going to say reluctantly thumbs down, even as I do see potentially him being part of the solution as we go forward. If the coach, either this one or the next one, gives him a decent chance. I think I'm process driven, so I'm nope. I'm going to give him the, the thumbs up. I like the process. I like what yeah, I'm seeing. Uh, Warren Fogle. I'm going to give Warren Fogle. Uh, <laughs> this is a tough one. Yep. Okay, I'm going to give him a thumbs down at this okay. point, and and it's close. This is a close one, but. <laughs> The, so the process has been okay. He's he's hanging in there. He's kind of hanging in there as a third line winger. Um, he's creating. Yeah, I'd like to see him create a bit more and give up a bit less in his own zone. I love the physicality of the player. I love his hustle, and I think the Oilers really need a big body player like this. Uh, on the wing, more more guys like them. He's he, and so so that's what I like about him. But he's got five goals in 35 games. He's minus 10. So the you know the orders are getting outscored when he's out there. He's part of a problem in that regard, and he ha- and he actually has been part of that problem. Like he's he's not been great defensively. The acquisition cost was Ethan Bear. Um, you know Bear. I'm not following his season in Carolina, so. You know, his time on ice indicates he's being used as a bottom-pairing defenseman uh, in Carolina, I believe. So, um, you know, the acquisition cost, I guess, is some people are really enamored with Bear. I, I like Bear, but I wasn't as enamored as, as some with, with Ethan Bear's game. So, but they gave, the Oilers gave up a decent player. I think they got a decent player with potential. So I think the trade in that regard is kind of a soft, but... Fogel's results, and for what he's being paid, it's 2.5 million, isn't it? Over three, 2.75 million over three years. So this is my main reason for the negative mark. Mm -hmm. They're not getting enough from a player that they invested a fairly big size contract in. He's got to score more. He's got to defend better. He's, you know, the results have got to be better. He's in the prime of his career. He's 25 years old. It's time to, time to, to, time to perform. And um, we're seeing that now and then, but not enough. Well, that's uh, that's a somewhat similar point that I made with respect to Zach Hyman when you talk about his production versus his salary. Fogel, five goals, seven assists, minus eight uh, at 2.8 million. Uh, Hyman, 11 goals, nine assists, minus nine at 5.5 million. I mean... In both cases, uh, you know, a little bit underwhelming with the uh, with the production. Uh, in the case of Fogel, I do like the big body physicality uh, that you talk about. I wish he'd hit more, uh, frankly. Uh, he, I mean, he does barge around out there and he uses his body to advantage. But uh, I do wish he'd, he'd hit more because I honestly just because I think the Oilers need it. You know, <laughs> yeah, ain't that the and, truth, Bruce? Yeah, they haven't got enough physicality up front and they. Uh, so, and in fairness to Warren Fogel, 
uh, he ain't playing with Jordan Stahl as the center anymore, right? Which he was in in uh, Carolina, uh, playing with uh, with higher quality line mates, and he's been getting on the bottom six in Edmonton. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm somewhere in the middle, and I, I think I'm I'm going to say uh, uh, I'm going to say thumbs down, but I do see him as part of the uh, of the longer term solution. I think he's starting to to uh, fit in. I thought he did well in the sort of brief chance that he got in the top six. Yeah, I like him better than Cassian up there. I think he's he he does more than than Cassian does. Okay, uh, Colton Sevier, Bruce, I'm going to give Colton Sevier a thumbs up. Again, he's he's a very cheap signing. Um, you can send him to the minors. There's no downside. And he only earned $750,000 a year. So he's actually helps you with the cap because he's below the league minimum there. And uh, he's at the league minimum or close to it. I don't know exactly is, what the league that minimum. Is the league, That's the league is minimum. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Same with, so him and Perlini and Benson are all at league minimum. Um, and he's been, he was, he's been a decent kind of fill in player on the bottom line. Um, mm-hmm. He's been playing higher up the lineup and he's been playing a more prominent role in the penalty kill. He's been struggling on the penalty kill as of late. Yep. So he's part of the problem. Part of the problem there. They're using him a little bit too much, I think, at this point. They're counting on him a little bit too much because he 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 gave quite a bit. But he's a really smart hockey player. He's pretty gritty. Like he's not a big hitter, but he hits now and then. He'll 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 get into the you know get to the game as they say. Like he 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 will jostle with opposing opposing players. He's a smart defensive hockey player. He's a decent fourth line hockey player. So I don't have a problem with that signing at all. I think it's a it's a definite win for the Oilers. Just wish he was two inches bigger and hit a little bit more, because that's really the you know that's the winger that they're missing on the bottom lines, and they're missing a, obviously a third line center who can really play. Yeah, well he's a jack of all trades, and for where they got him, you know PTO, he came in and and. As has happened with many PTOs in in uh, recent years in Edmonton, uh, he played well enough in camp to earn a contract because the depth of the team wasn't so strong that there wasn't you know there was still room. And as a 13-14 forward, 12-13-14 forward, uh, that's you know that's a solid addition. Uh, fact is he's played. Geez, I bet you he's played every game for the last 20 now. I haven't yeah. looked at his sack streak, but he's been an every night player in the lineup because he's been outperforming other guys in the bottom six. So I will give him a, a thumbs up for what he is limited, you know, a, a limited jack of all player. He's like a, a good utility infielder, you know, because he does play multiple positions. He can play center even, and he's done so in a pinch on more than one occasion when the Oilers were, were down and uh, at the pivot position. Uh, and he, uh, uh, he does, um, you know, you get you get his best every night. Like there's there's, uh, 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 I, I have no no concerns whatsoever with his uh, with his commitment and effort level and all those sort of uh, intangible things that some people hate but are part of the game. Um, and every once in a while he creates scoring chances, uh, but his ability to finish them is a little underwhelming. Five points in 26 games. 
So that's about a 15 point a year player for about for 10 minutes a night uh, playing, you know, not with great line mates and uh, uh, often in a defensive role. It's not, it's, it's not nothing. So, you know, every once in a while it'll chip in with a, with a goal or, or a point. But so overall thumbs up on the sort of last minute addition. Brendan Perlini, Bruce, I'm going to give a thumbs down to. Uh, scored a nice goal against Ottawa, but um, I just think this, this speaks to a. Um, they just they just misjudged their team a little bit. Maybe they were expecting Josh Archibald to come back. I don't know, but you know the, the absence of Archibald is felt on this lineup because he was he hit. He was a big hitter. He was a physical player. And they're missing that guy. Ch- Chason was a little, was a gritty player, big guy who, uh, you know, kind of like Se- a bigger version of Colton Sevier, uh, who his specialty was the power play where Sevier's on the penalty kill. But they they just misjudged what they needed on that, on these bottom lines, because they have, between Turris and Perlini, they have two very players who aren't don't play a physical style of play. And I th- to give Perlini credit, I've noticed in the recent games he's trying to, to hit more. So that's that's what he would have to do to stick in the NHL. But as we're not seeing enough of that. And between him and Turris, you know, that's just two spots in the lineup. Like, why are they on this team? Why are they still, you know, what role do they play? Mm-hmm. What are they giving the Oilers? And it's just a mystery to me um, in terms of lineup construction, you know, especially with Tippett's supposedly the expert in finding these kind of role players to fill roles. What is their role? You know, they're not checkers. They're not scorers. Um, they don't hit. They don't add anything to the special teams. What do they do? I mean, Turris has scored a couple over, you know, shootout goals, but that, that could be as much luck as anything. I mean, obviously it takes skill to score a shootout goal, so I'll give him credit. You know, that he has done that, Turris. But this is a big mistake that they've made in their lineup roster construction. And um, Holland's ultimately responsible for it. So when it comes to the wingers, I'm going to give him a thumbs down there as well, I guess. Uh, Hyman, I, I I like that signing. I like how he's played. I'm good with that. Benson, I think I put that more on the coach. But the, the other moves, I'm not... He didn't bring to this team what they needed on the wing especially those bottom line positions. Um, they're missing a couple role players and that shouldn't be, I guess the only excuse you give them is the Josh Archibald out that he what maybe wasn't expecting that, but you got to be on top of that as well. Yeah. Well, Sevier, I guess he was more than, if you say he replaced any one player, it was Josh Archibald. And yeah, you know, he was a late signing after the, after the late, issues that arose with uh with arch uh and uh he's archibald without the speed or the ferocity but he he does bring other other elements to the table uh as for perlini uh big thumbs down to the uh perlini that eventually got sent down to the minors after 13 appearances in which he had no goals no assists, and in fact, his team had scored no goals in all the time he was on the ice. He was just a complete non-factor. He barely had, I think he had six shots on net, no more than one in any game. 
And then he went down to Bakersfield, put a couple in the net down there, and the Oilers ran into COVID issues, and they had to call him back up. And he's been better. Like, he had seven shots in his first game back, and now he's uh, he scored three goals and an assist in the last five games that he's played. And so at least we're seeing that, you know, that one-plus ability that he does have, which is his shot. And he's getting them off, and he's beating a couple of goalies with it. Uh, but still, overall, I'll say uh, thumbs down in terms of, uh, of uh, not really bringing, um, as you say, you know what the, what the team has needed in the depth role. He's had he's had 23 hits, David. He had three games with four each, and all the other games combined, he had uh, 11 hits. And so 12 in three games, 11 in the other 18 games. He brings it some nights. And other nights, he's pretty close to invisible. Yeah, and sometimes he only needs to get six, seven minutes of ice oh. time. So there's that as well. It's hard to get hits when when that's oh. the case. So, But yeah, I just don't see that is, you know, his, that's good that he's come back and he's scoring more. Obviously, the Oilers need depth scoring. If he can provide that in kind of a third line role, like as a, you know, that's the idea of a third line winger, I guess. But overall, um, uh it's not work. They just need a different mix of players, and uh, you know, sticking. I just don't get the sticking with Taurus. What what's going on there? Like a Bruce, I don't see in NHL hockey. Like, what does he add? Per, Perley needs scoring, so he's adding a little bit more in that regard, and he has potential to, to hit more. So we'll see. All right, um, defense, Bruce. We're going to talk about uh, Cody CC. Hmm. Duncan Keith, um, Marcus Niemelainen, and I—I I don't, you know, Bouchard's kind of—that's—I don't think he's really fits because this is all expected with him. So we'll talk about those guys. I'll start off with Cody CC Bruce. I'm going to give him a really strong two thumbs up. I just—I think he's been a very solid top four defenseman. He's at, for a top four defenseman in the NHL, he's on a uh, four-year contract at $3.25 million. I was very fearful this wouldn't work out and we'd have a player who couldn't get by in the top four. He's worked his way up to the top pairing in the last game. And I think we'll, we'll see, because we've seen a succession of defensemen on right D move up to partner with Nurse and then have their games crater. Happened to Tyson Berry, happened to Evan Bouchard. Bouchard and Berry get moved down their lineup and they tend to do better, notwithstanding Bouchard's last game. But they they tend to play better when they're in the lesser role and then they get moved up with Nurse and it doesn't go well. Well, we'll see how it goes with CeCe. I've got a better feeling about this. I think there's a a solid, solid chance that this veteran player is going to come through in the top pairing uh, paired with Nurse. He's pretty good moving. The, he's pretty good at everything, I, I find. Pretty good def- defensive fundamentally. He's okay physically, like as a, a physical player, he'll he'll get in there a little bit. Um, his defensive fundamentals are pretty good. His penalty killing's okay. So he's kind of okay to pretty good in all these different categories. And um, I've been, he, and his game before he got here was marked by major gaffes, uh, met reads that he got wrong. And we're not seeing that, Bruce, hardly at all. He's very unlikely to get caught on a bad pinch or out of position wandering in the defensive zone. He's figured out the defensive game at the NHL, at the highest end of the NHL level, top 4D. 
and um, he's getting by there. He's and he's always been, I think, a fairly solid puck mover. So I like him. I like much about him, and I think he's uh, at the price point they got him. He's a four-five, where he's either in the top four or he's leading <clears throat> leading the third pairing, and the the price point isn't isn't bad for. Uh, a player in that position. Lots of teams have five five defensemen in, in the three-plus uh, million dollar range. Uh, and he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, you know? Like, he doesn't uh, really stand out as a great defensive player. He doesn't really stand out as a great offensive player. Uh, but he does a lot of things kind of okay. <clears throat> and uh, and he's been relatively solid. His His results haven't been, like, super great. Um, like he's got one goal, nine points, minus six through 31 games. I think he missed four with his uh, when he was the first guy with COVID. And the team certainly missed him when he went down. Like that was the beginning of the they won the first game he missed where they kind of miraculously beat Pittsburgh. And then since then, it's just been a steady downhill uh, uh, stumble for the team as a whole. Uh, but CC was the first guy that missed time that sort of re- clearly impacted uh, the team's performance at that point. Uh, so I'm not as strong a two thumbs up as you, but I will give him a, a, a single thumb up. All right, Duncan Keith. So Bruce, I just wrote a post about Duncan Keith. Saw that. And uh, the headline is Edmonton Oilers are down, but one key veteran D-man is finally trending up. So in the in his first uh, 20 games with the Oilers, if people were scratching their heads about this player, the acquisition cost, which was high, Caleb Jones, mainly Keith salary, two years at, what is it, $5.5 million, uh, per year. That's the main issue. And also then either a second or third pick, depending on how the orders do in the playoffs. So if people were upset, playoffs, upset about uh, the Duncan Keith acquisition, uh, the fair comment, they had every mm-hmm. right to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last six games, though, Bruce, he's really starting to play well. He is moving the puck exceptionally well. He sent, mm-hmm. Against New Jersey, he sent McDavid in on a breakaway. Against Ottawa, he found... Uh, Color Yamamoto for, you know, with a cross-eyed dart for a great shot by Yamamoto. And then he, he walked the line and pushed the puck into Perlini for a goal. He's consistently been making very good passes. His defensive play has improved considerably. He's still not, uh, he's still just okay in a top four role in the last six games, but he was bad in the first 20. And um, I don't know. Uh, what to make of this, honestly. Yeah. Um, are we going to see this Duncan Keith, this really good Duncan Keith, the rest of the year? If we do, and he carries it on into the playoffs, which I think the Oilers, I, I'm still in the Oilers will make the playoffs camp, it, and he helps the Oilers in the playoffs, then I think people might change their minds. It's fair not to change your mind until then. Yeah. So um, he he cost so much, though. Holland needed to either shave down the salary cap hit with Chicago or get the draft pick dropped. Ken Holland got taken on the deal. And the only way that changes is if Duncan Keith comes through through the orders in the playoffs this year and is a solid 
top four D-man for the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. So in that way, I, I, I think it's too early to judge. It wouldn't be too early to judge if we hadn't seen this last six games, which gives us a vision maybe of what Keith can be if he's really playing well. So at this point, uh, all things considered, I'm going to have to give this a thumbs down um, at this point. But I think there's a, I think there's like, I was saying in my post, you know, before this, there, there was like a 20%, at the most 20% chance this bet was going to pay off for Holland based on his first 20 games. It was probably more like 10% realistically. Now I'm, I'm going to say it's almost 50, 50, like a 40% chance this, this bet's going to pay off for Ken Holland because Duncan Keith has had a really remarkable stretch of games. It's, and again, it's just six games. So Let's see if it continues another 10, 15, 20, then I'm going to be a lot happier. And boy, do the Oilers ever need that, this play from Duncan Keith, because he was, he was part of the problem sinking this team during the slump. Now he's part, looks like he could be part of the solution. Yeah. The trouble is that those six games were all losses. I mean, he's so against the flow of his team and he has been good these last games. You know, there's, he's, he's looked, uh, uh, he's looked, very solid to my eye. It's you know his defense is is uh, um, improved. I won't say he's a great defensive player, but uh, uh, he's um, uh, his passing and breakout passing and uh, offensive zone play has been has been good in those games. Uh, I guess the question is here: Are we judging Duncan Keith, or is the overview we're judging Ken Holland's work in bringing in uh, Duncan Keith? Because uh, for Dunk Keith himself, I'm basically where you are, where uh, my thumb is down from his early performance, but it's wavering and starting to come around in, in terms of recent performance, which, but it still only represents sort of a quarter to a third of his season to date. In terms of the acquisition by Holland, I'm giving that a big thumbs down. I thought, as you do, that he got worked in that deal. That not only should the Oilers not have thrown in a draft choice, if they were taking that whole contract, they should have gotten stuff from Chicago, right? I mean, there was other trades going on. I mean, uh, Arizona got Shane Goss to spare, and they got a, got a couple of draft picks just to take his contract. They didn't have to give up a bunch of stuff to get a guy that the other team was looking to uh, move on from. And Chicago and, and Keith, you know, I mean, he, he basically asked for the trade and had come to a parting of the waves and ways. And uh, I thought Holland had a whole lot of leverage there and used none of it. And it was that that was I, I'm still baffled by by that sequence of events and his uh, snappy answer to Daniel Nugent Bowman. What do you expect me to get get him for nothing? Uh, was a tell um, that cap space which to me is the biggest asset you got in this league is cap space and he didn't consider that as being an asset that he'd given up for Keith that somehow he still had to pay to get this guy that he was also going to be given the full bore cap hit that Keith was earning all the years that he was in Chicago and getting you know Norris trophies and championships and so on the orders are still paying the full ticket of what he was getting through all those years uh, now, you know, sort of six years uh, since he was near his peak. And it's still uh, a transaction that uh, left me and leaves me questioning Warner's management. Yeah, it's kind of an old school. It seemed almost like an old school way of looking at the NHL where cap space isn't properly valued. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, he wanted his gray beard, which is fine, you know. And and if and again, if Keith keeps playing like this, if he can keep up this high level of play, this could still work out. He could he could be, like he's played like a five point five million dollar defenseman these last six games. That's what that's how they play. They're really good hockey players. That's what Keith has been. But man, it's that's too short of a uh, a window to to make any judgments on it and to hope that it's gonna you know to be confident that it's gonna last. You can't be. We'll you know he could. His defensively, he's he just strikes me. I know Jim Playfair was saying on the on uh, Ryan Whitney's podcast, spitting chiclets that he, you know, like below the the uh, the dots. Keith is still as fast as anyone. I I don't I don't I just don't see it. I see a player who's lost lost a little bit down there. He's really mm-hmm. smart with the puck and excellent with the puck, but he he I think he's lost a step. And you can see it in the defensive end where he's often just a little bit trailing the play. And even in this good, really good spell of play, his defense has not been mm-hmm. exemplary. It's been okay. So this is an ongoing issue that he's, you know, he's got to figure out, Duncan Keith, how to how to become, uh, shutting, how to shut down top attackers a little bit better, even with his diminished capacity to do so. Yeah, and puck retrieval is where I've noticed a step that, you know, I mean, Mind you, I, the most I saw of Keith in Chicago was during the first of the first six years of that 13-year contract. And of course, as the team became less competitive, they were—you uh, uh, didn't see him on on TV in May and June quite so much those last few years. But uh, he always struck me as being a fantastic player on puck retrievals. That you couldn't get the puck deep on him and win a race to it. And uh, that's uh, uh, that's uh, something of an issue. Uh, at this uh, at this late stage in his career, bit more of a saw off now in terms of who's going to get it and win it and keep it. He when when he gets there first, he's so clever with the puck. He can he, you know even if they're on him, he can still make a really good play. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's not always there first. All right, Bruce. Mark. Well, the last player we'll deal with is Marcus Niemelainen, who's played ninety even strength minutes. Um, I don't think he's been. I think he's been okay. <laughs> He's not a great passer of the puck. Um, he can be exposed on defense on the rush, but I think he stands out because he he there is a glaring weakness on this team in terms of physical play. There's just not enough players uh, who just game in game out give the opposition hell, just give them hell um, in terms of getting after them, hitting them, being on them, and Nima Linen, uh He's a huge, he's a big hitter and the kind of Andy Sutton mold, great big guy who can just flat out crumple opposing forwards. And it's, he's, for that reason, I could still see him. He was sent down to the minors, but I could still see him getting a, a call up and getting some playing time here because he does fill that need on the Oilers. And I'm going to, so in terms of, you know, he was a draft pick. He's, you know, it's not paid a lot minimum contract. I'm going to give him a thumbs up um, because uh, he, for someone who's not much was expected about a year ago or two years ago, he's, he's looks, he looks like he could possibly be an NHL bottom pairing defenseman who, who provides physical play for the Empton Oilers. Hard to disagree with any of that. I mean, really on the organizational depth chart, where is he about number 10, but they had to, they had to call him up because they had, uh, such a such a tire fire on the defense where they lost uh, uh, Nurse Keith, Cece, uh, Cuckoo, all at the same time, 
And so they had to go deep into their farm system. And I think, uh, you know, his results, like his uh, uh, his goal share, one, four, three against, his, you know, his his um, his on ice results are, are pretty mediocre. But he did bring that that uh, element of physicality, which, uh, you know, the team has been lacking. And I mean, how big of a price are you prepared to pay for that in terms of uh, uh, flow of play? I don't know, but I do think, you know, for a guy playing literally his first, uh, would you say, seven NHL games, and he, uh, uh, I think he passed the test in that he didn't, you know, he they'll pro- they'll give him another look at some point. It's funny, they need kind of a Nima Linen type player on the wing uh, yeah. is what they need, and um, they don't have that in the organization. There's no one in the, on the farm who is that player. And that I know of, I mean, there's Luke Esposito, but he's, he's not even on an NHL contract and he's not, I don't think the speed is there to, to play at the NHL game. I mean, that guy just is a killer in terms of physical play and effort. So they need that kind of player at the NHL level, finding that player, not, not going to be easy. I think lots of NHL teams want that guy who can really hit and get in there and play some hockey, but uh, the orders are going to be hard pressed to fill that third three C, even the, the the grinding winger thing, it's going to be hard. I think they have one trade to make. I think it's going to be it's going to be for a goalie, and um, at this point, because you can't count on the guys they have. So, but other than that, I think this is the team that the Ken Holland says the answers are going to have to come from within. Well, they really are, because the Oilers' options are limited, and the the one option they have trading their first pick for a goalie is not ideal. It's not ideal, but, um, you know, maybe Dylan Holloway will come up and be that beast, you know, that physical, fast, physical player. Can't count him at 3C, but come up, count on him and be a fast, physical winger. There's a possibility, right? Like, you know, like Martin Jelena in 19, circa 1990. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Maybe that's what we'll see from Dylan Holloway, which would be, which would be fantastic, obviously. Uh, but, um. So one more, I mean, if we're talking about Marcus Niemelainen, who got a, a seven-game trial and then got sent back down. Well, Philip Brobery had a similar uh, uh, baptism by fire. He got called up for eight games that he played and uh, eventually got farmed back out. But So he's they're kind of in the same category. Uh, interested in your take on what we saw from Philip Brobery in the NHL. Uh I let he, he got played over his head and then he and then he and he looked it in the end he started to leak grade A chances against. I really liked his pairing with Cody Cece. I thought you know that was that was in a top four role, but it wasn't. I don't think it was the top pairing at that point. If I'm I think Keith was with someone else in the top pairing, and um, I really liked them. I thought uh, big fast guy can move the puck, um, moves the puck well. Has some defensive issues mainly based on he's 20 years old. He's a rookie in yeah. North America. They asked too much of him in the end. He started to play more than 20 minutes a game. But if if Philip Robery had been brought in as a in, in a third-pairing role this year, that might have worked out just fine. But I like him where he's at in the AHL. He's where he belongs. I think he's a really solid uh, defensive prospect. I see him being a top-four uh, left-side defenseman in the NHL for a long time. He's, he's 6'3", 6'4". He can really skate. Uh, he can, I mean, he's he's he is a 
probably the best skater on the blue line. And that's saying a lot because Darnell Nurse is a pretty good skater. So um, I like them, Bruce. Yeah, Thumbs up. Like, yeah, he's uh, he's ahead of the Oscar Kleppbaum curve, and that's uh, that's been a good comparable for Brobery since they drafted him. They both spent two years in Sweden, came over to the AHL. Kleppbaum never got called up in his first pro season until after the trade deadline. And uh, he played the rest of the way. And even in his season after that, he, he spent time in the AHL early in the season before emerging as a permanent NHLer. Uh, Brobery got, because of the circumstances of all those injuries, illnesses and so on, um, uh, he got that call early. And I agree it was before he was ready. And I mean, there's certainly signs of promise. He had, you know, Oilers had over... 52% of the shot attempts when he was on the ice, 116 minutes, but 18% of the goals, like they got outscored nine to two. And, you know, he was, a, I think he was a minus player seven or eight games in a row. And then, uh, you know, he had a, a very good first game. And then after that, and he, some of those games, he didn't play bad, but something went wrong and the puck wound up in the net. And or the goalie didn't make the save, or you know how it is with this team. And anyway, so he, uh, uh, to me, that was good experience for him, and it will help him the next time he comes up. And so, uh, you know, obviously overall, I see him as a long-term uh, help to what ails his franchise. So uh, I'll give I'll give him a a, a a tentative thumbs up for uh, at least getting that first test under his belt and, and going down and what he's done since he went back down. He's, he's really looked good down there. So I think he, I think he's uh, benefited from that experience. Some interesting lines just came out, Bruce, for the Oilers. Yeah. In practice today, you were complaining about Brendan Perlini, Perlini getting benched after uh, mm. the goal. Yeah, Perlini, McDavid minutes. and Yamamoto. Okay. Perlini, McDavid and Yamamoto. Second line, I was just mentioning how I'd like to see Drysaddle and Hyman together. How's this for a big check-in line? Hyman, Drysaddle, and Pluyarvi. And why haven't we seen that line before this year? Seriously, just makes so much sense, right? Okay, Fogel, McLeod, and Cassian. Yikes. And they, they played a lot together. Shore, Ryan, and Sevier. Tyler man. Benson, odd man out. Well, he might still have COVID. Do we know if he's on the some? some... He was cleared and he practiced on Saturday morning. Oh, he but did. he was, yeah. But they had to choose. Uh, just they had to add one more player who came off of the COVID list, and they chose Fogel, which was uh, seemed like a slam dunk. But uh, I guess he's still anyway. Whatever. On defense, mm-hmm. Nurse and Cece. Yep. Keith Barry. Yep. Russell Bouchard. I like those okay. pairings. I like that's that's about as good as you're going to get right now, uh, especially if Keith and Barry, who are, have been trending up, can continue to trend up. Mm-hmm. Nurse and Cece should be really solid. Mm-hmm. And uh, Evan Bouchard's had struggles on defense, but he's with the right guy eh, to cover that up is Chris Russell, if Russell's healthy and good to go. So um, and Koskinen's yeah. in the starters net. Well, we talked about the penalty kill earlier. I would I would submit that the penalty kill unit has missed Chris Russell. Fair enough. And they've also missed Ryan Nugent Hopkins for this last 
well, smaller stretch of games, but I don't think Russell's played pretty much at any time throughout this street. Maybe at the very beginning of it, a couple of the losses, and then he got banged up. And then I think the PK has, has suffered in his absence. Ryan Whitney of Spittin' Chicklets podcast says, quote, just sitting here waiting for the Edmonton Oilers to do something, fire the coach or make a trade, but for God's sake, do something, do something. end quote. Very, very popular tweet. Uh, I can very imagine. Very popular. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I guess these lineup changes are pretty dramatic. So there's there's doing so- something. Like, I, I kind of like it. I mean, I don't think Perlini, McDavid, and Yamamoto, I don't, I don't know. Per, is Perlini going to step up here? Uh, uh, I'd rather see Fogel, honestly. Fogel, McDavid, and Yamamoto. But the, the orders are just... They're short a winger, and well, they're short a sniper. And that, I mean, Perlini. I mean, if you put him on the line with McLeod and Cassian, how much sniping opportunity is he going to get? I mean, yeah, might as well see if he's going to snipe or not by putting him up in the in the top six Fair and enough. find out what you got. I mean, uh, you know what the definition of insanity is, and we've been going back there and back there for this uh, long slide, and so try something different. I mean. Might not be the first thing that pops into our head, but what we can agree on is it's different. And why not? I mean, Perlini scored, scored a goal in each of his last two games. I mean, he's what maybe he's finding that mojo he had in training camp, and I don't necessarily expect it will last for long, but they might as well uh, give him a chance to 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 uh, skate with it. So we'll see how he responds to a chance with uh, with the superstar. We'll see, you know, uh, BJ McDonald was not a great hockey player at the NHL level, but he put up points with Wayne Gretzky for, for, for a while there. Mm-hmm. So maybe Perlini can, can get on a streak where he'll score, you know, at, at even strength with Connor McDavid. And I, I agree, you know, you, you persuaded me, Bruce, your argument, it's certainly worth a try. And I really love the Hyman Dreisaitl Pulley Arvey line. I mean, I love that line. I think that's a really, uh, inspired choice because it just, you send that group out of out there if they can get in the offensive end, they could have that puck. They could just be that could be a nightmare for the opposition. Those those three players together, um, their skills could really combine well. So I like that a ton. I really like it. It reminds me of when Puliyarvi first broke in and they played Drysaddle, Puliyarvi, and Patrick Maroon for in Puliyarvi's about first ten games. And I thought, oh wow, this is Puliyarvi looks great. This rookie like. He's really fitting in here. This line's keeping it in the offensive end a lot. And uh, so uh, we could have the same dynamic here. All right. Let's leave it yeah. there, Bruce. Yeah, we talked about uh, Hyman and, and Dreisaitl. And they've been they've both been in the top six all year, but they've, they've been the two that have switched out. Anytime that Leon has moved up, it's always been uh, Hyman that's moved down. I'm just going to do a quick check to see how many minutes they've actually played together uh, outside of the power play, and it's not going to be. Uh, no, not not be, much. They uh, they would have many. spent some time together with an empty net. Seven, when there's seven, been a... Seventeen minutes all year. Yeah. So, whereas you know Leon's played 286 minutes with Connor, 243 with Poliarvi, uh, 100. 20 with Yamamoto. Oh, sorry, this is Hyman. It's played, you know, 
but yeah. barely under 20 minutes with uh, Leon. Let's give it a shot. You know, you got uh, you got three very skilled players there on the, on that line. Maybe they'll click. You might as well find out what you got and, and look for some new chemistry because old chemistry ain't working. Let's leave it there, Bruce. Thanks for talking today. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>